Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. I can't believe that we're already at the end of 2019. This is our last interview of the year. And I'm really fortunate to have been able to spend some time with Mike Schultz, or as most people call him, Schultzy, of Schultz Outfitters. We talked about how he got into the Smalley game, his thoughts on targeting trophy bass, and all things Schultz Outfitters. I hope you enjoy it. Before we move on to the interview, though, a couple housekeeping items. It would be great if you could give us a review and a rating in the podcatcher of your choice, or even better, check out our mobile apps. We have an app for iOS and Android devices. All you have to do is go to the app store of your choice and search the Articulate Fly. It's free, and it's the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing at the Articulate Fly. And folks, however you celebrate this season, I wish you a happy and safe holiday season. So Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and of course, a happy and prosperous New Year's to all of you. Now, on to our interview. Well, welcome to the Articulate Fly Schultz. I'm glad to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we have a tradition at the Articulate Fly. I have to always ask all of my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Well, uh, you know, I thought about that, and uh, I think, you know, really, it was just going to the fishing ground. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, being in a boat and, and being on lakes and, and cruising around and looking off those weed beds and seeing pike and perch and small bass and whatnot while, while dad was running the motor and just kind of putzing, you know, those, those are some of the first that I can, you know, vividly remember. I remember seeing my first pike and seeing my first perch and, and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, just the basics, fishing around docks and catching small, large mouth and, and doing the, the whole spring bluegill in the beds thing. You know, those are probably my earliest memories shared with both my father and, and my grandfather. Yeah, it sounds pretty similar to how I grew up. Did, I assume you started out fishing gear and then moved on to fly fishing later? Correct. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the early days were the old spin cast and, you know, the old $20 Berkeley Cherrywood, you know, uh, pistol grip uh, spin caster. And then eventually, you know, dad let me use the... Uh, the Cardinals and, and all the fancy, you know, Zebcos of those days and started using uh, spinning rods and, and eventually graduated to uh, bay casters and then, and then fly fishing. Yeah. When did you move to the dark side of fly fishing? Uh, you know, that was teenage years. Uh, definitely, you know, was introduced uh, the way that a lot of uh, kids and, you know, early anglers are getting into it in Michigan, getting introduced to that is, is through the migratory fish. So, you know, we have uh, King Samarons, Cohos, uh, and Steelhead, you know, and that was kind of my first introduction. That was in the uh, mid-90s. Uh, when I was playing hockey, I had a family uh, that uh, was into, the, uh, into fishing, and one of my buddies in the team, his dad took us uh, salmon fishing, and in the spring he took us steelhead fishing, and, you know, that kind of got it rolling. And then, uh, you know, around that time I tried to make my first fly cast, and then I would say I really got geeked out on it you know once i got had the ability to drive and uh you know found uh smallmouth bass in, in the rivers uh, where i grew up and you know the rest is history after that it was uh full and fully infected yeah it happens uh who were some of the folks that mentored you on your fly fishing journey to help you get to where you are today well you know i like when i think of like a mentor you know i really you know, outside of my, my parents and, you know, and life and, you know, hockey coaches and whatnot, I really didn't have a fly fishing mentor that really kind of took me under their wing and, and, uh, you know, showed me the rope, so to speak, uh, you know, all that stuff went down pre-internet. So I didn't have the ability just to go online and, and look at things and look at videos and whatnot that wasn't there, but, you know, I definitely gravitated towards the local, the closest fly shop to my parents' house. Uh, which was uh, called Buter's Outdoors, and uh, John Buter was the owner, and he definitely, you know, was, uh, you know, threw some, threw some wood on the fire and 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 stoked it up for me, and that that kind of got, you know, me interested in fly fishing, and you know, I remember, you know, the OLN television, watching that in high school, and seeing, you know, Andy Mill and Bobby Knight and all those shows, and you know, whether it was trout fishing or saltwater fishing you know that kind of was like whoa this is sweet and um you know john john was the local fly shop guy and he was the guy that i eventually just you know hung out there so much uh you know and, and just started doing the things that uh you did around the house as a kid you know taking out the trash and wiping down the counters and straightening it up and eventually took notice and 
you know, I think my first uh, several, you know, ways that I was compensated was through product and just hung out so much that eventually, uh, you know, I, I, I was able to secure a, uh, you know, be, uh, low level position at the shop and, and uh, work my way up from there. But, you know, John was kind of the guy that w- was the local guy that kind of got it all started. But unfortunately, I didn't get to spend a ton of years with him, um, but still a friend to this day. And, uh, you know, I definitely credit him for getting it rolling. Very cool. And when did you get the fly time bug? Well, that was uh, before I fly fished. So, you know, before I even threw a rod, my, I was always growing up, my mom would always say that I was the, the hunter and my brother was the fisherman. And, uh, you know, for Christmas, I'd get things camouflage and, you know, um, shotgun and a bow and all that kind of stuff. When you're a kid growing up and my brother would get the fishing stuff. And, uh, my, my father's sister purchased a, a cheap fly tying vice, you know, your basic stuff. I think my brother was like eight, nine at the time, you know, maybe he'll like this. He likes fishing and it just sat there and, uh, you know, barely held hooks. It was, it was uh, one of those, you know, $20, $30 starter kits that came with all the crappy feathers and terrible tools. And eventually I picked that up and uh, started messing around with it, tinkering with it. And I think around 98, 99, somewhere around there, late 90s, uh, Cabela's, the world's foremost, opens up here in Michigan. And I remember going there the first day that it was open. It was so busy there running golf carts you know, in the parking lot and run you up to the thing. And I end up picking up some fly time materials there to go with that, that vice. And, you know, that kind of, kind of got it rolling. I quickly found out that that wasn't going to be the end all be all, uh, vice and, uh, you know, saved my pennies and went to the local fly shop, which was Buter's. And I think I got my first, uh, Renzetti traveler around 99 and, uh, still have that vice today, Yeah, but, uh, that's kind of how I got it rolling. Do you remember the first fly you tied on that vice? You know, I think it came with like some, uh, you know, instructions for some old school wet flies, you know, and it's like, here, tie a scarlet ibis for your first, uh, uh, fly. You know, I don't know what it was, but, uh, you know, some married wing thing that I hacked together and, you know, probably caught a bluegill on it at some point, but, you know, that was probably it. And then eventually, you know, woolly buggers and woolly bugger variants and, you know, what later became just the basic red eyed leech, you know, tying that silly thing up with dumbbell eyes that I hand painted and, and wrapping rabbit around a hook and going out and catching smallmouth. Got it. And, you know, I know your patterns today are, are made by fulling mill and Orvis carries them. I was wondering if you could share with this kind of your design philosophy behind your flies. Yeah, well flies, you know, it, it just, it starts with a problem and, you know, you're building something purpose built. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where, where I started with it. I think, you know, there's a lot of amazing flies on the market today that you can go get that are mass produced. Um, but I think no matter what, you're eventually going to come to a point uh, as a fly angler that you're going to quickly realize that you're not going to be able to get everything you need um, out of the bins. So, uh, you know, I'm tying flies that work for, for my water. Um, 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 you know, originally, you know, you like getting started, you want to go out and have a fly that just catches fish, you know, and you're fishing for smallmouth bass, you're fishing dumbbell eyed flies, you know, whether it's a leech or a sculpin or a crayfish and you eventually gravitate towards top water flies, fishing poppers and that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I think that, you know, I have contributed, I guess, to fly tying is kind of that mid-level stuff, the, the stuff that swims. Um, so like a swing and D type platform, you know, that, that type of fly is built, uh, for our rivers. If you ever have the opportunity to see any of the photos that are taken from drones on the water that we, that we fish a lot, it's really woody and, uh, the fish sometimes are right in that wood. So fishing a, a fly that sinks, uh, at a rapid rate or, um, you know, doesn't have the ability to hang and suspend is going to quickly get hung up and you're going to lose flies and, and lose fish and blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, like those, those type of swim flies, like Blaine's brought to the, to the, the table and the swing and D and stuff. That's all just, you know, we had a problem. We, we had, we had to figure out ways to fish, uh, that, that type of water. And, you know, the flies that I fish and tie, and I guess you could say carry my name through those companies are built for our waters. 
Um, having said that, you know, you can get a template of those flies, whether it's, you know, your basic leeches or sculpins or whatever, or even swinging these, but eventually you're going to have to tie your own because they're only going to come in one weight and one size and one or two or three color schemes. Um, so, you know, being able to tie is, is, you know, it's hard to take a fly angler serious if they say they don't tie flies. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And were you self-taught on the tying front, kind of like you were in the fly tying front, or did you have people that influenced your development as a tire? Well, you know, I got started in, uh, you know, the late nineties. So, uh, you know, modern streamers for trophy trout came out, uh, I think in 98 or 99. And, uh, that local fly shop that I eventually, um, got a job at, they would bring in, uh, tires, you know, well-known tires. So, uh, I remember going to Gallup's event, uh, when he was there. So he kind of caught my eye early and then the natural progression from Gallup to, you know, uh, Ross Madden who worked for Kelly and, you know, created the circus peanut and, and pretty much the template that Kelly's most of Kelly's flies are built off of. Um, you know, you, you, you I found him through the Troutsman and, you know, again, pre, pre Instagram, pre Facebook, um, his friends were, were buddies with Mark Sadati over on the East coast. So I remember the first time Mark came out, uh, to, to Michigan and I got to meet him and see his crazy designs and healing techniques and the use of, uh, you know, non-conventional fly tying materials in a lot of his flies, you know, you got to tip your hat to guys like Larry Dahlberg. You know, I remember as a kid watching in Fisherman and seeing Larry being the fly guy on there and, uh, you know, the shape of his, Dahlberg diver head influenced the swing and D head. And, you know, I get to work alongside Greg Senio, uh, on a regular basis. He works for me, you know, three, four days a week. Uh, and then of course, Blaine, I mean, I, I probably met Blaine about eight, 10 years ago now. Um, you know, he's influenced so many and, uh, you know, I've just been fortunate in my travels and my, my location here in the upper Midwest being from Michigan to be exposed to some of these, you know, great, not only fly tires, but guys that are true innovators, um, not just taking stuff that's been done before and using new materials on it, guys that actually paved the way um, and do things their way. And, uh, you know, it's been just been lucky over the years to to travel a lot and meet these guys and hang out with them and, you know, call those guys friends and uh, just totally influence the way that I um, sit down device and approach things with just bits and uh, of information that I've gathered from them over the years. That's really neat. When did you uh, become obsessed with catching smallmouth? Well, I, so I, like I said, I started the salmon steelhead thing and, you know, quickly realized, you know, what am I going to do with, uh, how am I going to keep this rolling? Those fish aren't around, you know, year round, so to speak. So, um, I, I live, I always grew up. I actually grew up, I've lived in the same watershed my whole life, which is totally crazy. I went to school. Uh, right by uh, the shop and I, I live uh, within the Huron river watershed. So we do have steelhead at the uh, lower end of the river, but uh, the river has smallmouth bass in it. Right. So, you know, what do you do when you, when you're young and you don't have any money and you got a crappy car and you, you, you can't just drive four hours and go fishing for salmon steelhead and trout all the time. You got to kind of make do. And, you know, my personality isn't such that I can just go, Oh, you know, I'm going to go fishing you know, that one time this month and go up North for a few days, you know, I got to have it all the time. So I quickly gravitated to the closest moving water that I could find, which, um, you know, fast forward many years and, uh, you're, uh, you're, I'm fishing and, 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 uh, learning on the same water, like the same piece of water that the shop is on. So, um, yeah, buddy, get you one of those. Here you go. Here's a feather. We're sitting at the fly time. Dylan is here. He's in the room. He's our, five, buddy. He's our special guest. He's our special guest. Say hi, Dylan. Okay. Go watch the movie. I'll be right back, okay? See you in a few minutes. Sorry about that. Oh, not a problem at all. <laughs> so where, where were we? Oh, so smallmouth. So um, we'll rewind a little bit. So uh, I quickly gravitated towards the closest moving water that I could find, and that happens to be the Huron River. And, you know, fast forward a few years and poof. Uh, I got a river, I got a fly shop right on that stretch of river. And I vividly remember sitting on the island that's right outside the window of the shop and breaking my first fly rod and, and, and learning, you know, the basics out there. And, uh, you know, that stretch of river still to this day has a good number of fish. There isn't a lot of large fish, 
But what that gave me the opportunity to do was, was have immediate success, you know, and go out and get the basics down from stripping the fly to setting the hook to, you know, in those early years, you're always putting the line on the reel, just little things that, you know, you're, you're learning the basics. So uh, the Huron River is, is kind of where I started with, with smallmouth and, and where I still find myself today. I live, you know, a quarter mile away from it. And, uh, you know, that kind of got me rolling. And that was that's kind of the still the, the, the centerpiece of our operation is the river that I learned on. And then we expanded out from there. That's neat. How long did it take you to feel like you had smallies dialed in? I still don't, you know, um, but a long time. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you, you go, uh, you know, through a lot of different phases with it and, and trial and error and, uh, trying different things and, you know, reading books and articles and all that stuff. And, you know, the, the early years, like even when I like when I was working at the first fly shop, second fly shop, third fly shop, there really wasn't a lot of stuff, you know, for bass fishing, you know, when it came to equipment. So, you know, lines and, and flies and that kind of stuff. So uh, you're kind of making do with what you could find, you know, Harry Murray's book and, you know, some of the stuff that Cloudy was doing back then and uh, and whatnot and uh, kind of building off that. But uh you know, it's, it's a process. <laughs> um, but I felt I had a fairly solid foundation, you know, when I opened the shop, which was in 2011. Um, you know, I, I had, I had a, a good following of, of clients that would fish with me on a yearly basis and, um, you know, knew enough to be dangerous, but over the last eight years, you know, it's really taken off and, you know, I can't, uh, I couldn't have done it without the help of, you know, our team, you know, and, and that, that's the biggest thing, having a crew of anglers who, you know, really buy into the system and stick to the program and, and share knowledge and, and real-time information is what really, uh, you know, took it, you know, made it take off and, and go to the next level. So, um, you know, with that, we had our seasons changed in Michigan. So we had uh, a season that went from the last Saturday in May to December 31st. And then a few years later, it went from the last Saturday in April to December 31st. And then five years later, six years later, it went to year round. So it really helped us um, dial in the early season stuff uh, when the water's a lot colder. And then eventually that early season success and what we were learning there gave us confidence to push it later into the season. So, um, you know, the, like to, you're just building on it, everything. There's so many programs and different things within, you know, we call it seasons within a season, uh, within a season. And you just got to break it down and, and focus on that stuff. So what we were able to do is we were able to identify those things, kind of come up with a hit list and, and kind of work our way through it and, uh, together sharing knowledge and having guys that could row well and, and, and understood the angles of approach and stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, really helped take it off. Yeah. And I think most anglers really don't appreciate the value of having that network of guides that are fishing, you know, the same days on different watersheds to be able to compare notes and how quickly that helps, you know, you know, manage the pressure, but also to just learn about the species and learn about the watershed. Definitely. Definitely. No, you know, and, and getting, you know, it's fishing. So getting real information that's truthful and, and whatnot is, is hard to do. So if you can build that crew, you know, that's going to, that's going to, you know, together you're better. Yeah. Got it. And, you know, I know, for example, there are differences, um, among different species of largemouth, depending on where you are in the United States. Are there any things that are unique about upper Midwest, uh, smallmouth bass? Well, I'd say, you know, I, I spend most of my time, like pretty much all my time fishing Michigan, a little bit in Wisconsin, and then I dabbled a little bit over in Minnesota. So, uh, you know, we're in Southern Michigan, uh, where we're located and, uh, there's, you know, some tremendous fisheries here. There's amazing fisheries in the upper peninsula, you know, upper Wisconsin, Minnesota, there's so much cool stuff to do. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely a difference amongst those watersheds, you know, with what uh, we're dealing with down here. Um, I would say, you know, we're, our fish don't migrate as much. Is, is say those fish up further, further north. Um, 
you know, that's one thing, but I would say, you know, the biggest thing, if you compare it to the rest of the country and down South is, uh, what we're finding is, is our, our fish will still continue to, you know, they're catchable even in really cold water. So yesterday it was 37 and, you know, we're hooking fish that are fighting way harder than spring fish and they're just fat. So I think our fish, you know, what we're finding up here is, you know, they're, they're not migrating, uh, as much as you'd, you'd, you'd see like up where my buddy Willen guides or Dahlberg's at up in Minnesota, these fish are staying put. So you have the ability to fish to those fish, uh, until the rivers completely ice up and they're going to be in a similar area to where they're going to be in the spring. Um, so I just, our fish are hardy, you know, like I think people talk about, you know, down South saying like, Oh, you know, they really shut down. I think, you know, you know, and I've never been down there. I don't know firsthand, but I'm thinking those fish may move a little bit. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's not a lot of information out there on it. So unless you're willing to go out, go out and put the time in, they're going to be hard to catch in, in, in the colder weather and the colder water, I should say. Um, but yeah, fish are just hardy, man. The upper Midwest fish are tough. Uh, they're native, they're wild and, uh, they're tough to beat. Yeah. I would imagine too, kind of in the South that, you know, people have, have other species to fish for during that time. So they don't really feel terribly tempted, uh, to figure the smallmouth in the winter game out. Cause they want to go fish for muskie or go do something else. Yeah, exactly. No doubt. No doubt. There's you know, variety of the spice of life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know you specialize in targeting trophy smallmouth and, you know, I was curious about, you know, cause my experience fishing for smallmouth has been that if they're eating, the small ones are just fearless, you know, they'll chase a big streamer. Mm-hmm. So how do you change, uh, your approach to fishing for them so that you kind of increase the percentage of trophy fish that you're putting in the boat versus, you know, catching a bunch of dinkers and you get two or three nice fish. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I mean, everything changes, uh, everything changes. So from your preparation to your focus, to your scouting, you know, people, usually associate that with hunting but you know that's something i associate with fishing too um you know understanding the cfs cubic feet per second you know the water volume and and how it affects said river um you know understanding water temps uh seasonal movements of your fish everything down to the choice of equipment you know so um it's just like the guy that is super nerdy and geeked out on hunting that one giant whitetail with his bow you know it's the same thing when it comes to trophy bass fishing if you're you know i don't like to call it that but it is what it is you know we're going we're trying to catch the biggest most mature oldest fish in the system um you know that's what i enjoy doing don't get me wrong i'll go down the river and catch a bunch of fish with my kids and have a good time and there are clients that like to do that but my main focus if you're coming to fish with me um is you know most guys are going to come here anglers are going to come here to 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 catch the biggest fish so um, i may not be choosing my water um, you know, uh, on numbers, I'm choosing it on size and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the early season, big fish hunting stuff I'd like, I prefer to do. And a lot of people do as a single angler, um, which allows me to position the boat and, and, and such that, you know, a back guy would a lot of times be shut out of a casting angle. So, um, you know, the whole thing changes how you do it, uh, how you approach them, on the river, uh, what river you choose, uh, do the light levels that day or flows or, or whatever. I mean, it's a totally different program than just going out and catching. Um, you know, you don't go out and at our waters and put a high number of fish over 20 inches in the boat, just going down the river and slapping flies around and playing a numbers game. It just doesn't happen. Now, it makes a lot of sense. How has that shift to targeting trophy smallmouth affected your fly design? Uh, you know, every river, every situation has its own set of flies. So over the years, we've developed uh, a set of flies for each season, each specific program, um, even down to flies for specific rivers or even specific sections of rivers. Uh, you know, we, we guide six different rivers, uh, in Southern Michigan and, you know, each one of them is, is, is unique in its own right. And, you know, some of them are, uh, high numbers uh, fish, uh, lower numbers of, you know, what we would consider a trophy fish, say 20 inches or better. And, uh, you know, some of them are low density, but the opportunity of a really large fish is there. So, um, 
you know, different, different, uh, forage, you know, some rivers have a lot of bait fish, other rivers have a lot of frogs. So, you know, how you're going to target that fish is, is the intimate knowledge of what that fish is eating. Now I don't get totally nerdy about it to where I'm, you know, going trout style and, and matching it that close. But, uh, you know, knowing what they're eating at a given time is fairly important. And, you know, that type of information is only gained by, time on the water um so um fly design fly choice for that given day is is all just pretty much in my head and and it's all from from past uh you know experience of how i'm going to approach it no it makes a lot of sense uh do you mind sharing your favorite patterns for smallmouth yeah i mean if it was me fishing you know i'd be fishing uh hair frogs i really enjoy fishing like dahlberg style head hair frogs, uh, swimming frogs, uh, or swim flies. So I'm, I'm all about seeing the fish react to the fly and, and ultimately eat it. Um, you know, I think that is a, you know, one of the coolest aspects or, you know, traits of a small bass is just, um, how they, they'll pursue the fly. They'll eat the fly. It's a very visual thing. Um, and, you know, being able to, if, if I can't see them eat it, I, it's, it's not as fun. So, uh, really enjoy that that part of the game so fishing flies you know if you people take note of you know what i'm fishing if they're looking at instagram and or whatever and seeing the flies in the fish's mouth you see a lot of light colored flies especially when it comes to this, when i'm personally fishing so i like uh you know white flies is, is the base you know for most of my my patterns um when it comes to swim flies and stuff that i enjoy fishing so um seeing the eat is is huge and you know those swim flies will give you that and then of course hair frogs um the way that a smallmouth bass absolutely uh, annihilates a, a hair frog is is something to be seen and something that is highly uh addicting and uh i really uh really like those two two flies and then i guess you know the other thing that i would throw in there would be uh one program that we've we've put a lot of time into myself and um my head guide at the shop, James Hughes, uh, is, is terrestrial fishing. And, um, and we're talking like totally low clear water sight fishing, not making a cast unless you see a fish, uh, sight fishing. So I really enjoy that, uh, fishing those terrestrials and, and coming up with cool little ways to, to, um, tie them and, and seeing the fish, uh, eat the fly and, and reject the fly and everything that they do when they're, when they're in that super low clear water environment. So I'd say those are my three best favorite ways to target them right now is hair frogs, swim flies, and then doing the super finesse light tippet, six weight, um, terrestrial game. Very neat. And you mentioned this earlier in the interview, talking about the importance of angle of approach and how important it was to have someone that could, can row a boat. What do you mean by that? Well, if, if you fish with myself or, or one of our guides, you'll quickly see that our rivers are you know, fairly small. Um, CFS-wise, summertime, they could be running as low as 100. Uh, in the spring, they might get up to you know, fishable levels around 2,000. So uh, relatively shallow by most standards. You know, some of them get crystal clear. Um, so when you're fishing these rivers, your fly, most you know, more times than not, uh, is not tracking at a great distance. You're not just hawking a fly out, you know, as far as you can cast it and retrieving it. Um, uh, the river bottom is, is made is little buckets and dips and, you know, some sections could be, be defined as holes, but, uh, usually a fish that's laid up in a hole isn't going to be a fish that's going to be, uh, you know, necessarily eating aggressively. So, um, having, you know, someone on the sticks, that's a really good rower and then religiously keeping the fly out front of the boat. So, you know, just general terms, uh, roughly a 45 degree angle off the left or the right side of the boat, fishing downstream, um, guide boat oarsman is positioning the boat in a fashion that's going to allow you to, um, you know, swim the fly or fish a dredge fly or fish a frog um, on that angle. And, uh, you know, other reasons it's one, it's stealthy, you know, you're casting, you're not casting the fly line off over the fish. You're casting on a 45 down. Um, the way that a smallmouth bass eats the fly is going to be, um, you know, you're going to get a much better hookup, uh, as the fish comes up, eats the fly and turns on it. 
Um, once the fish is hooked, once the fish eats more times than not, that fish is going to go downstream or it's our fish usually will go away from the bank and come out front of the boat. So you're never going to have slack. So if you're off the side of the boat and you set the hook and the fish comes at you or goes to the middle, goes to the middle, it's going to create slack and you're going to be doing the full John Travolta hook set with the Saturday night fever strip, you know, where you just got the rod over your head going crazy. Um, where the, the, the fish is, you know, the fish is out front, it eats the fly, it comes across, everything's tight. Um, you're getting a positive hook set. Uh, oarsman's able to maybe hit the oars a couple of times to, to make sure that hook is buried in that fish and then, and then it's on. So, um, doesn't matter if you, like I said, if you're fishing terrestrials or you're fishing swinging D's where you're the head of that fly is designed to come in on that angle to give you the ultimate you know, side to side wounded bait fish swim. Um, same thing with a lot of the Blaine's changer flies is they're going to fish really well that way. Uh, in colder water, you know, you're not necessarily bringing the fly back to the boat as you're, you're walking that fly back or you're, 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 you're dancing that fly back in front of that log jam. If you're fishing on that 45 degree angle between, you know, you yourself and the oarsman is able to control that fly and and keep it moving on tension and, and suspending in the zone versus swinging way out or you know quickly um you know less water on or less line on the water you're in more control of the fly so if it's out on a 45 you're not going to have that big belly in the line ripping it out you know and you're keeping it in the zone um when the water is really high in the spring you're going to have log jams that are creating you know, seams and bubble lines coming off these jams. And what you'll find is those fish will, will be way back in the cold, you know, dead water. We call it couch water. And eventually as the water tends warm, they're going to move their way to that seam. And you're able to keep that fly on a 45 degree angle and keep it in the zone or walk it across. It's just a better, a better mousetrap for the smallmouth bass and the way they eat. Sure. You'll be able to get them to eat off the side of the boat, uh, casting upstream and bringing it down, but the hook set and, you know, your hookup ratio is going to, uh, decrease, um, the further you start working your way off to the side of the boat or, or upstream. So, um, just the way they eat different, different style mouth. It's not a brown trout, you know, they're not a grabber. They're an inhaler. Got it. And is that type of presentation issue kind of the most common mistake you think anglers make fishing for smallmouth, or is there something else that's you see more often? I see that, you know, I definitely see that. We don't see a lot of boats on our rivers, other people fishing, um, just doesn't happen. But, you know, when I do, I see, you know, repeated, I see the wrong angles a lot, uh, fishing too fast, you know, the oars, the person on the oars is, makes or breaks the day, right? So if your buddy's lazy on the oars and you're just floating around moving too fast, good luck. It's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're fishing for trout, fishing for musky, fishing for smallmouth. Um, it's a team effort. And, you know, I think the speed in which the boat is moving, the choice of water, um, you know, with, with our, our fish on our rivers, with the exception to a few, a few, to a few of the higher number, um, you know, uh, higher density rivers when it comes to fish population, um, 99% of the fish are in 1% of the water, you know, so finding that 1% and, and fishing it effectively is huge. Um, you know, guys use too light a gear. If you know, they, they, like I use seven and eight weights pretty much all the time, maybe it dropped down to a six weight for that terrestrial game. But, um, you know, when we first started doing this, see a lot of guys just using their trout gear to go out and, and, and try to try to do this and wonder why they're not catching, you know, big fish and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you just gotta, it's a, it's a totally different animal and, and you got to think of a bass as a bass, not a bass as a trout. And if you really want to do it and, and get the job done, everyone's got to be on board. No, it makes a lot of sense. That's why I almost always uh, hire guides when I fish from drift boats, because um, generally the buddy thing doesn't always work out terribly well. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> can't row. You can't go. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and I've had some of my worst arguments on the water about that particular issue. Um, so just easier to, to hire a professional. Um, you, you've spent your entire adult life, um, around fly shops and guiding. What drew you into the fly fishing life? 
Uh, well, you know, for, for me personally, like from an early age, I've always had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, when I was a young kid, I, I'd make things and, and, and sell them at school and, and, and flip things and trade and just hustle on whatever I was doing. Um, so, uh, you know, whatever it took to make a little bit of extra money and, and get that thing that I wanted, I was always, always doing that. Um, and I like to do things my way. So, you know, I, I, I remember being a little kid, you know, into sports cards and I'd always tell the guy at the card shop that, you know, I'm going to own a card shop when I get older. And then it was, you know, skateboarding and all the things you did as a kid is I want to own a skate shop, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, uh, I kind of always knew that I was going to go into business of some sort. I always wanted to just kind of do things my way and, and, you know, be my own boss, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, I just it got into the fishing and got infected with it. And when I first started uh, around here in South, Southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit, roughly, um, you know, there was a lot of different stores and um, you could go get high end gear at, let's just say, 10 or more stores. It was kind of coming off that the movie era, you know, mid 90s, late 90s. Um, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of shops around and and, you know, I, I worked for a few of them and I always just thought, man, you know, like I had all these great, you know, what I thought were great ideas at the time and, uh, just always wanted to do it. And, you know, I, I just, I look around and you'd see those shops and it was all, um, you know, second careers, corporate refugees, um, you know, owners with not a lot, you know, the, the gas tank was already half empty, you know, and there was really no no extra drive to go above and beyond the, the norm. Um, so I always thought that, you know, I could do it better. You know, I had the confidence to, to, to do it better and, and, and started out with, with guiding and uh, took it from guiding to taking my clients that I guided on destination travel trips and then eventually um, opened the shop. So it was definitely a process. Nothing came quick and, you know, pushing 20 years in the industry and, um, you know, nothing happens fast in fly fishing. That's for sure. Yeah. What was the specific trigger that made you make the jump from, you know, working and guiding for a shop to, to opening Schultz Outfitters? I just, a uh, future, you know, I just knew that, you know, there's obviously not a ton of money in the fishing industry. So, um, I could, I could row a boat, um, and do that for the rest of my life and, you know, be a little banged up and, um, you know, the guide life is, it's fun when you're young, but I, I don't, I definitely couldn't do it, you know, for a full career. Um, so I kind of knew that was working against me and, uh, you know, I wanted to have, uh, you know, I was a, a wife and a family and, um, just kind of looked at it as, you know, I, I'm I think good at this and I got the confidence to, to grow it. And, uh, you know, I'll, uh, get, assemble a team and, you know, kind of planned it that way. Um, so yeah, it was a long, long process, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, as they say, but, um, you know, it all worked out. It's growing and it continues to grow. We got a great squad and, uh, you know, keep grinding. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because you've got a really successful store and, you know, so many people struggle in the fly shop game. What do you think it's you need to be successful as a shop owner? Being original, you know, it's being original, uh, you know, blazing your own trail, you know, all the cliches, um, you know, the golden rule, man. I mean, you just got to treat other people like you want to be treated and and, uh, you know, do cool stuff, you know, build a build a team, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot of turnover in shops with employees. You know, we've uh, been able to, to hang on to all the good ones and, uh, you know, the guys, guys bought into the system and, you know, it's a, it's a team over an eye type atmosphere always. And, uh, you know, it starts at the top and it goes all the way down to the new guys, you know, and, and how we hire and the type of people that we hire. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's, it's, it's a small piece of the pie and, you know, I don't think I would have the guts to go into an established, uh, region and buy or open a fly shop. You know, there's just, it's a lot of areas are saturated. Um, so like I said, the piece of the pie is only so big. So, you know, I'm fortunate to grow up in this area 
Um, you know, I looked at what other shops were doing as when I was younger and, you know, everybody was pushing the trout game. And it seemed to me, you know, at a young age that like, you know, they're trying to sell trout stuff to people that are going to the Asado or the Manistee or the Pier Marquette. And there's plenty of shops up there that know the rivers way better than they do. And it just, you know, right in our backyard, we had awesome smallmouth fishing. We had pike, we got carp, um, you know, we got Lake St. Clair, we got the lower Detroit river. There's so much cool stuff to do around here. And, uh, you know, I was just able to kind of harness that and see an opportunity and put in the time and, uh, you know, eventually get a crew, which we talked about and we were able to continue to build it and, you know, it's still growing every year and uh just uh, having a great time doing it and just loving what you do man you know it's uh it's it's all about loving what you do and 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 having a good time and like i say you know you're just not gonna you're not gonna work a day in your life if you love what you do and i definitely work but you know the outcome is is definitely worth uh worth the effort and uh you know that's that's just it man just keep grinding and doing cool stuff and innovating and listening to people and seeing what works and what doesn't work and and uh taking shots taking taking chances that's it taking chances yeah and it's interesting too because from from talking to you it sounds that a lot of um your sports background growing up taught you a lot about team sports and leadership too it sounds like that's a huge part of you know what you've been able to channel to make schultz outfitters so successful definitely 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 now the team environment and you know just uh you know i couldn't do it without those guys you know just my name on the door but you know, it's, it's all of us pitching in to make it all happen. Yeah. And for folks that haven't had a chance to, to visit the shop, you know, what would a customer should they expect when they walk in the doors of Schultz Outfitters? Friendly environment, you know, low pressure sales. You know, I always tell customers, like we make suggestions, we make recommendations, you know, if you want to take, take advantage of it and buy that's that's your call. Um, uh, just rock solid people that work for us. Uh, super knowledgeable. Uh, if the guy, you know, that's working with you doesn't know, he'll quickly find someone within the building that does know. Um, you know, they're not, uh, you're not going to get much, you're not going to get any BS from these guys. You know, they're going to shoot you straight. Uh, again, that's a, uh, that's a hiring process, you know, and finding the right people and training them properly. But, um, you know, you're always going to walk out with something at our shop. It might not be products, but, you know, I always tell the guys, you know, everyone walks out with confidence when they leave here. So, um, you know, you don't always have to ask the right questions, but feel free to ask questions. Um, you know, our, our staff, uh, kind of has, uh, you know, every, like I said, everyone knows what's up, but if they don't, they'll go, they'll go find the answer for you. And, uh, you know, I always joke, it's like, we'll, we'll give you everything except our car shuttle drivers numbers and where we're putting in and taking out on that given day. We're going to give you, the right line, the right leader, the right flies. We're going to tell you exactly how to fish it, what to look for. So I think that's something, you know, in the old school fly shop, it, you'd had to buy that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You had to buy that. And, you know, we don't really play that game. We just, we give you the information, set you up for success. Confidence is always free. Yeah, no, that's a really important point because, I mean, to your point, I think, you know, not only in in the old system you had to buy it, but there were gradations of buying it too, right? You know, it uh, it's just like creeping disclosure based upon how much money you spent in the shop. Um, but right. And I think that's a – I mean, I, I think, you know, that's been a huge impediment to growing our sport. So I think it's really great that you have – I agree. Yeah, and, and I think it's great that you have a different approach because, I mean, to your point, like I can tell you everything except where I'm putting my boat in today, and the rest is up to you, right? And if you don't want to put the time in, yeah. that's just how it's going to be. No doubt. That's one of the, that's one of the, you know, the things that I think is definitely being lost with fly fishing is, you know, like just the way the society is right now with that, you know, everything is immediate, right? And it's like, that is the journey of fly fishing. Like you have to go out, you have to put in the time. That is where if, if it's just catching the fish, then go to a trout pond and it's, you know, and feed them a pellet fly, you know, but you want to go out and discover, you want to learn, um, you know, that that's a great sport for that type of stuff. And that there's nothing better than that. That's going out and actually earning that fish that you put the time in to, to, to earn, 
Yeah. And, and at least for me, I know that's the greatest challenge because I don't get to fish as much as I like to. So I get to fish about 20 to 25 days a year. And I'm always struggling and asking questions about like with that finite amount of fishing time, how do you maximize your performance? Exactly. No doubt. So, but, uh, so, you know, I know you guide, uh, for things other than smallmouth. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the guide service at the shop for the other species? And then I also know that you partner with other folks that are nearby for like steelhead and, and also you do some destination travel as well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the guide service has been around longer than the shop. The shop opened in 2012 and the guide service actually started guiding you know, got my first guide license in Michigan in 2003. Um, so the guiding has been around longer. I guided through the shops that I work uh, at back in the day. And, you know, God bless those first few years of clients. You know, they definitely took a, took a risk going out with me. Obviously, price of trips back then were pretty low. But, um, you know, it gave me the ability to get out there and learn and, and kind of cut my teeth and and and. and start from, start from scratch. Um, again, but really didn't have any help with that. Just kind of went out and saw a blank slate and, and started, uh, started working it. So, um, guide service has definitely, you know, expanded a lot since 2003. Um, you know, we're running, uh, five guides, uh, during peak season and on six different rivers. And the main, the primary focus is smallmouth bass. So that's most people come to fish with us for smallmouth. Um, there are opportunities to go carp fishing. Uh, we have some really cool carp programs, you know, sight fishing stuff to fishing mulberries. Um, there's just, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for that, especially, you know, close to the shop uh, on the Huron river. Um, there's a lot of impoundments and, and different uh, features to that river that makes it really good for carp. Um, you know, once in a great while, we'll have people that want to go out and pike fish. Um, you know, not going to lie, a big pike for us is three feet, you know, it's not like you're going to go catch some monster pike, but they are there. And, uh, sometimes a year they're highly predictable where they're going to be. And, um, definitely a species you could target, but not something that we push too often. And then, uh, steelhead fishing. So, uh, we were hooked up with steelhead alley outfitters out of Ohio. Um, Greg Senio, um, started that, that operation many years ago. So we'll, we'll send customers down to Steelhead Alley to fish with SAO. Uh, we'll send guys up to the Pier Marquette um, to fish with uh, our head guy, James Hughes. He's a, mostly a smallmouth guy, but he does the Steelhead in the fall, as well as uh, Tommy Lynch. Both of them are up on the PM and, and work in that western uh, side of the state. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely options, you know, but around us, six rivers, anywhere from 10 foot steps out the door of the shop to uh, an hour away, you know, would be, a, would be the longest drive that we do for, for smallies. Uh, that's our main focus. And that pretty much will run. We'll start doing trips again in February and we'll, we won't stop doing trips until Christmas. So, uh, January is pretty much the only month where we, we, we lose, um, you know, time to fish because the rivers are choked with ice and, and whatnot. The only thing to do is really fish below dams. Uh, we don't do much of that, but, um, yeah, we, you know, it's, it's a year-round thing. That if you if you really focus on one species and put your time in with with that that ours being smallmouth bass, you can you can get really good at that species. <laughs> you know, I used to jump around when I first started guiding because we we had a late uh, start to our bass season, which we talked about earlier. You know, last Saturday in May is a long time to sit around and wait if you're a, you're a fishing guide. So I jumped around, and it just it doesn't it doesn't work if you want to do it at a high level. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I know another thing that you guys are known for is really supporting the community and the resource and two events that you're regularly involved with are the Huron River Single Fly and the Hucking for the Huron. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about those two events? Yeah, so uh, we, I've always, you know, for a long time I've worked with the Huron River Watershed Council and that's our local, uh, our local watchdog over over our rivers, uh, our river here and the, and the tributaries and, and lakes that are, are part of it. Um, so they're just, a just an awesome organization. They're definitely a, a benchmark organization here in Michigan, you know, other, um, watershed, you know, uh, groups, uh, come to them for, you know, uh, consulting and whatnot. They're just a really awesome, awesome, uh, organization. And, 
back in the day, we started a couple of different things. We started the first, the Huron River single fly, which is a fairly uh, small um, deal. It's just a one day uh, kind of a fun gathering where guys meet at the shop and anglers go out and fish in, in two person teams. And it's fairly inexpensive to get in it. I think it's like 50 bucks and you get a, a membership to the watershed council, but it's a, a quick little, little fundraiser we do with them. And then the one that actually, you know, raises a good amount of money is you're talking for the Huron. And that's where all of our guides donate uh, a day. And, uh, you know, it's a thousand bucks a, an angler and uh we go out and um and fish uh for the day and and uh see how we do it's you know five fish uh over 16 inches and whoever catches uh the, the most inches of fish wins we have a big fish award and blah 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 but you know companies the companies that i personally work with all all sponsor it so uh, we got rods and reels and coolers and sunglasses and whatnot to give away uh for that one and then the money that's raised uh, for that event goes towards some sort of angling type improvement, whether it's, it's uh, signs that, uh, um, you know, just educate the public on the spawning behaviors of fish or, you know, the limits of fish and, and whatnot, um, or improving launches and put-ins and takeouts and whatnot. So you're uh, under watershed council, great organization. If you live within the watershed or you're here in Southern Michigan, uh, look them up and, uh, become a member it's uh it's a it truly uh a great uh organization to be working with and uh, good good people to have on your side so um always down to help our our local waters absolutely and i'll drop a link to them in the show notes for sure and i can't let you go mike without you sharing i have to ask all of my guide uh guests the same question the big biggest misconception you think people have about the life of a fishing guide and a fly shop owner well, fishing guide, you know, they probably think that they get to fish all the time, but really they get to row all the time. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're not really, we've never really been that eight hour a day, you know, Oh, there's the takeout. We've been on the water exactly eight hour guide service. So, um, in, in, you know, their schedules are all over the place. We don't, uh, we don't start at eight and end at four. Uh, ever, you know, we kind of, we, we fish our, uh, our, our schedule, our fishing schedule revolves around current conditions and, you know, the opportunity to put you on, uh, the best water at the best time. So, you know, these guys are out fishing, you know, 10, 11 hours with, you know, between the time they pick up their clients and the time they drop them off, you know, 10, 11 hours, and then you got, you know, an hour plus of prep before, and then an hour of cleanup. So not much time to sleep, not much time for family. Um, and then if you, you know, if you want to grab a calculator, do the math on that, you know how much they make per hour, not much. So you're not going to get rich being a fly fishing guy, but you're going to get rich with is just time spent outdoors and time spent with good people and, and whatnot. So, you know, the guides, they, they work their butts off and, um, you know, I don't do a full season like I used to, but, uh, um, it's, uh, it's a grind, it's a grind, a mental grind, a physical grind. And then a fly shop owner, you got to wear a lot of hats, you know? So, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I slowly, as the business has grown, I've been able to, uh, you know, hire, uh, a couple guys that, uh, help me manage the place. And, uh, you know, for a while there, I had a, a really small plate and a lot of stuff on it. And now I'm definitely a little bit broader in, in what I'm doing and, and being able to pick and choose where my focus goes. Uh, to best, um, you know, help the shop grow and continue to succeed. But, uh, yeah, just a lot of time, man, a lot of extra hours. I, I, we built this off of being available, you know, so a lot of, a lot of time communicating with customers in various forms, whether it's direct messages or emails or phone calls. And, you know, I always joke, I'm, I'm, I'm on 20 hours a day. So, um, you know, you, you get what you put in and, and, uh, we tend to put in a lot of effort and a lot of work and, uh, try to keep our, our customers happy. So it's just a, it's a never ending grind, but it's a fun grind. And, uh, yeah, it's like anything in life. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're, if you're working hard, you're going to have a positive outcome more times than not. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, you've already accomplished so much in your angling career. You know, what would you like to accomplish before you, you know, you hang your skates up in 20 or 25 years? Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, you know, keep continue to grow the business. 
uh, you know, take care of my team. You know, I, I want, uh, want the guys to, to have a good life and, you know, you know, be able to afford homes and, 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 you know, put their kids through school or whatever. So just keep grinding, make sure everyone on the squad and family's taken care of and, um, you know, expose my kids and to, you know, the opportunities that I've had through fishing, you know, whether it's going on destination trips and, and seeing the world that way or whatever, just, uh, you know, keep, uh, just keep seeing new stuff and meeting new people. And it's, it's, it's an experience, man. It's a ride. I, um, just, I don't want to get off it. I want to keep it going. I, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's your exit strategy? Well, of course I want to retire one day, but, um, yeah, I could, I could do this for a long time as long as I'm physically able and, and God's willing to keep me, keep me moving. I'm, uh, I'm on it, man. I'm, uh, I love it. And there's not much, uh, I, I don't ever see myself getting burned out with, with fishing. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just keep going, man. I don't really have any like crazy goals that I could share, you know, I just, just, uh, take care of my crew and, 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 and make sure everyone's comfortable and happy. Yeah, no, and I know you're you really kind of that athlete's heart, right? You're always pushing yourself to get better, which is one of the reasons why you're not getting bored, right? Correct. Yeah. It, Correct. It, yeah, and and as we kind of wind down, um, you know, are there any projects you're working on or anything that's going on in the shop that you want to share with our listeners? Well, we got some cool stuff coming up. Kind of um, had some choices to make going into uh, you know 2020 and. Um, we are expanding the store again, so there'll be more on that, uh, come mid January, but, um, there'll be uh, a new section to the shop opening up sometime, uh, probably middle of March, um, beginning of April. So that's, uh, that's something that we're, we're focusing on and whatnot. And, uh, I've got a couple of new team members that we're getting, uh, getting on board and getting them up to snuff and, and prepared for, for a big year in 2020. So, uh, yeah, not much, not much besides the norm. We're always doing something. So it never really surprises anybody. It's like, Oh, you guys are doing that. So it's like, yeah, I figured you'd do that. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, keep, keep going, man. Just keep going. It's, uh, I'm having a good time doing it and the boys are too. And, um, shop's going to get a little bit bigger. That's, that's what I can tell you. Well, that's great. And I'll also, I know that you guys have an kind of an off season educational, uh, program in the winter. I'll make sure to drop a link to that in the show notes. And how often do you have your, uh, your beer ties? Yeah. So, so bar flies is I think going into its 11th, 11th year. So, um, bar flies is every Wednesday night. Uh, it's down at the side tracks. We have two classes going on at sidetrack bar and grill, and then one class going on at the shop. So that's every uh, Wednesday night starting, I think, the 8th of January. And then uh, we do a series called SO Dialed. And that is um, pretty much every Tuesday, at least three Tuesdays a month. And uh, that is designed for the angler with a really busy schedule. It's short format. It's an hour, hour and 15 minutes max. And what we did this year with that is we limited it to 15 people. So you got to sign up for it. Uh, it's 10 bucks to sign up, but then when you show up, you complete the class, you get $20 in shop credit to use that night. So you're getting paid to learn, um, that particular, uh, you know, weekly event is simply a PowerPoint, you know, presentation, you get a handout and we're pretty much telling you how we approach said species or techniques or whatever, and uh, pretty much give you the roadmap. It's your, your job to go use it and, and put it to work. Um, other things that we have coming up, you got fly fishing film tours at the end of February. Our eighth year anniversary event is uh, the last day of February, first day of March. Um, we'll roll that in the Michigan Fly Fishing Show, and then uh, we'll have a, uh, an event the second, so the first weekend in April, which will be what will be announced in, in, uh, middle of January. So, um, all kinds of cool stuff. I've got a really killer lineup for barflies this year. Blaine's coming back up. We got Larry Dahlberg coming out of retirement to hit the vice. Um, it's going to be an exciting year with that. Um, always innovating, always growing, always doing new cool stuff. So stay tuned. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, um, Schultzoutfitters.com. 
So we're out there. We're doing it. We'll see you guys at the shows. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll drop as many uh, links as I can put my hands on on all those events into the show notes so people have an easy place to find them. Heck yeah, man. I, no, I appreciate it. And, you know, anybody out there that, that has any questions or anything, feel free to email me or, or DM me. We're um, always happy to share information and and uh, get you pointed in the right direction. If you have questions about gear or techniques or pretty much anything, uh, we're always there to help. You'll, you'll get an answer pretty quick. Well, I appreciate it, Schultz. I really appreciate you carving out an hour to talk with me during the busy holiday season. Anytime, man. I appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to doing it again. Outstanding. Tight lines, everybody. Well, folks, I hope you liked that as much as we liked bringing it to you. Again, happy holidays and best wishes from everyone at the Articulate Fly for a happy and prosperous new year. Tight lines. Thank you.